Welcome to Moonlight Writers Club, a podcast for writers attempting to further their creative goals while juggling the demands of work, home, and remembering to feed the dog. I'm your host, Molly Thornton, here to highlight and reimagine the wisdom of new and time-worn craft advice and speaking with folks who have carved out writing careers or master the balancing act of writing with a full life. Before we begin, let me set the scene. Outside my window, there are palm trees stretching toward the sky and a rainbow of pastel buildings sprawling out before me. There's also a constant barrage of trucks, sirens, and a dumpster that seems to be emptied every time I record an episode. So thanks in advance for your patience with the sounds of LA as they appear in the background. Hey, I want to take a moment to tell you about a podcast I really love. It's about creative process, and it's called Emerging Form. Poet Rosemary Watola Tromer and science writer Christy Ashwanden explore topics like how envy can be a force for good in your creative life, what makes collaborations thrive or flop, how hula hoops might help you finish your book, how to handle rejection, and all the ways to say no to projects that don't really serve you. They've even done an episode on existential despair. It's practical, playful, enlightening, two friends having fun, getting real with each other and other creative people about the frustrations and pleasures of the creative life. Their guests have included journalists, songwriters, artists, and even a circus performer. You can find them at emergingform.substack.com or subscribe to Emerging Form on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Hi, Moonlighters. I am so happy you're here with me. This is the final episode of our very first season of Moonlight Writers Club. In this episode, I get to share a very special conversation with you. It's very special to me because I'm talking with one of my first creative unblocking teachers, Eli Steffen. Eli is a speculative artist working in the fields of performance, writing, sculpture, facilitation, and curation. Her work focuses on the intersection of communal narratives, cultural norms, and systemic violence. As a facilitator, Eli believes deeply in the power of art and works with people to unlock their creativity and bring forth their artistic voice. She's heavily influenced by queer art lineages, and Eli's artwork melds critical theory, camp, and drag in participatory performances that question audiences' relationships to each other, power, and the state. You can check out more about her art and work at elisteffen.com. When I first started coming up with people who I knew I wanted to be on Moonlight Writers Club, Eli was 
originally on my first list, top of my list, because I really did start so much of my process with her. And I feel like I also have sort of a linked memory from maybe, you know, around the same time that I first encountered the artist way or shortly thereafter is when I participated in a facilitated program called the artist nest with Eli, where I could have focused on my writing. Um, It was an open medium process to figure out what our voices, what our values were, and how to be our creative selves. And I chose to stray from my writing when I took that course and ended up creating a really cool um, piece that had collage and words and was about relationships and was something that you could sort of play with as a participant. And at that time, I think it was really important for me that I completed and showcased something, which was what was important to Eli, among other things, about what we did within that course. I have a hard time finishing things like many people and Even when we do finish things, we don't always have a container to share them in. And having a built-in place where that was going to be celebrated, that we were going to be able to invite people to, was really a powerful experience. But more than that, some of the processes that Eli led us through during that time have stayed with me. We did visualizations where we entered our safe spaces, which is something you'll hear Eli talk about. And I still have an image in my mind of a room that I visualized and revisited during my time in that class that I can still conjure up as well as a vision of what my creative spirit looks like as an embodied spirit, which is pretty cool. And if you want to know, it's basically like a like rainbow panther um, that's like full of light. So Eli and I are talking about so much that they have to offer here. I feel like the overarching element here that is so instructive for all of us is about our values. So you'll hear Eli and I talk about embodiment, sharing work, preciousness, failing fast, day jobs and what might be the right one for you. And all of this and more are going to come back to this question of what are your values? And I think this is so helpful because we often are thinking, is this person's approach right for me? Is this person's approach right for me? Or should I, you know, structure my day this way or my writing this way? And we sometimes are making these decisions in sort of an arbitrary way or just not understanding what values are underneath them that are informing the choices we're making. So there's this really beautiful call and consideration to what our actions are saying about our values and the opportunity to drive your creative practice through what is really important to you and what's important for you as an artist. Um, Part of that that we get into is 
that being an artist isn't all that we are either. And seeing how you can maybe make space for yourself within your writing and creativity by letting your creativity and writing be just one part of who you are in the world that may not encompass everything that you are and everything that you do. So I think this is the perfect way to wrap up this season. There's so much in here that you're going to be able to take with you and hopefully will nourish you in the coming break before we come back for a second season. Please enjoy this conversation and all of the gifts of Eli's perspective and everything she shared here. Eli, thanks for being here with me and Moonlight Writers Club. I'm super excited for everything you have to share today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks. I'd love if you would start with introing whatever you'd like to share about your art, as well as the artist's nest and some of the work that you do as a creative unblocking facilitator. Yeah. Um maybe start a little bit with my art. Uh, so I grew up in the theater, um, theater kid, uh, both in terms of was was uh, making theater with folks um, since I was eight. And also my mom worked in a theater. So really spent a lot of time just running around theatrical spaces. Um, and um, yeah, and so these days, and then kind of, you know, in high school, uh, did a lot of facilitation work and continued that. And then in college, went back to really focusing on theater. And then after college, um, did a lot of creative facilitation work. So, and then did some writing work. So it's, I, my, my work kind of spans a lot of genres. Um, these days, most primarily as a, as a performance maker. Um, I would say that's sort of the core way in which I share my work. And then within that, I do sculptural work, I write. Um, uh, and my work, uh, I would say sort of the overarching things around my work is that uh, it's one, almost always participatory, um, certainly the performance work. Um, I think questions of power and identity and um, like community versus individual um, uh, questions and truths and identities are really prominent in all of my work. Um, uh, and then, yeah, and then as I said, I have a background in facilitation. Um, after college, I started working for an organization called The Power of Hope, which did um, essentially sort of youth empowerment, personal growth work through the arts. So it wasn't so much about teaching art, but about using arts to explore um, what's going on inside us and in the society around us. And then after maybe five or six years of that, uh, maybe a little bit longer, I started doing these, these classes called The Artist's Nest and doing coaching work. And essentially, I come from a belief that artistic expression and creativity are really, really important in our world. And so I'm really interested in thinking along with artists and other creative folks about how do we um, uh, 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 unlock creativity? How do we get over blocks? How do we understand our own personal neuroses so that 
we can manage them so that we can create? Um, how do we think about our relationship to the art market, to capitalism? How does that interact with our own sort of class background, economic background, other um, other identities, other issues of privilege and, and oppression um, uh, so that we can make. Um, and the Artist Nest specifically was uh, a 10-week course um, that really walked people through essentially uh, a sort of mini artistic practice from sort of beginning initial kind of thinking about how do we want to interact with art, what is our values and our goals around art, through what is this particular topic, what's our inspiration, how do we how do we hunt down inspiration or find inspiration, um, all the way to creating and showing a work of art. And so it always ended with some sort of gallery or public presentation. Um, yeah, so, and I first worked with you through um, one of your Artist Nest courses. And so the things that I remember about that, and sort of from what you just said, some of the sort of, I guess, like tenants of it seem to be like, working towards getting your into your artistic practice, or, you know, figuring out who you are as as a creative, there's like figuring out what your values are. There's like actually getting into some sort of practice. And then I think a really important piece of that for me and that you emphasize is that component at the end of you have to share the work. Right. Would mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what are, are those sort of like the main components, like sort of what's like, what's the why behind what the elements are of walking someone through creative unblocking? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I was actually just looking at it today. Um, uh, and I think those are most of the big ones. I think though maybe the one that I might add is some notion of editing or, um, revision of some way, you know, so it's the, how do you kind of initially get the thing on the page, so to speak, how, whatever medium you're working in, and then how do you, how do you craft it? Um, and the why, um, overall, because I think art's really important. Um, you know, to, to sort of drop it down a little bit, I think I think one of the things for me that I'm really interested in is helping people make choices about how, why they make art, what art they make. So I'm not really interested. I have my own values around art and I will, I'm transparent about that, but I don't, I'm not trying to get people to take on my values. And at the same time, um, I'm, I'm, I am really interested in having, in questioning the normative values the normative reasons not those are necessarily wrong but just that those are that those can be choice that we make those choices as artists and if that's the choice people want to make great no worries um uh in most cases there's some cases where it's maybe not great but um <laughs> yeah so i think that that's sort of the and sort of so kind of what are the values that we're working under is very much this question like you know why do we do it what are we hoping it does in the world um how do we want to be in relationship with our creativity? 
um, you know, is it a playful one? Is it a, is it a sort of a more of a, you know, disciplined one? Is it more of a sort of, I don't know, bdsm kind of one where we're, you know, however, um, and then what are the goals? So kind of from these values, what are specifically we trying to do with it? Um, and then I think, and then I think a, a big thing is just like, how do we get out ideas? How do we work with ideas? Um, uh, because I think for me, there's, it's, there's a, I really, I think, make a distinction between, although I have to say I'm really questioning it, but between, uh, one of my values around art is that it's crafted for an audience. Um, and I think there's an important impulse in it and how to follow the impulse and how to just get the impulse out so that we can see it, so we can feel it, um, we can experience it. Uh, and then I do think that there's something really powerful in sharing it, both for ourselves as, as creative folks, to have that affirmation, um, to, to, uh, to, to, to experience being witnessed. Um, but I also, for me, part of the value, part of my own value system and part of the reason I say it's important is because I think people need our art. Um, mm -hmm. or need art, need creative expression, need uh, new, ways, new ways of imagining the world, new possibilities. Um, uh, and, and so, yeah, I think that there's something really important to be done with art. So I, I, for me, I really encourage people to share it because, um, yeah, because I think the world needs it. Yeah, it's interesting because I can see sort of a built-in loop between in the artist's nest, the idea of how do we get inspiration, right? And the idea that inspiration is something that you need and is part of your creative process. And then when I think about how I get inspiration, it's often through other art. Mm. Right. So like even in that, I can see, okay, right, because if I'm figuring out what I want to make, then maybe you know there's lots of other ways but often i'm gonna like listen to music or like read someone else's work and think about it or even look at something visual that someone created and like those things are gonna be inspiring so there's sort of like a building um of creativity on creativity between people yeah and there's um it's after the artist, after I was sort of designed the artist's desk, um, I came across this. Uh, there's a lot of people who have different ideas around this, but my favorite is uh, Alan Moore, who created V for Vendetta and The Watchmen, had this idea that there was such a place called idea space and that that's where all the ideas left, or excuse me, all the ideas lived. And that inspiration was when we left are like everyone has their own piece of idea space. And when we leave that sort of domestic idea space, we can find inspiration. Um, and I really love this idea because I think there's this, there's this, it, it sort of suggests this, how do we go hunting and how do we also invite in? And what is the relationship of those two things? Um, and yeah, I think there's tons of ways of getting, of, of, of adventuring out, right? And, and a lot of it has to do with experiencing other people's ideas and I think when we say ideas we can use that more loosely than sort of this intellectual thought but just the different ways that things are 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 rolling around in people's minds and hearts and and how that gets expressed um yeah I love that so what are some examples maybe of the difference between like the normative values of 
creativity or art that people maybe walk into the artist's nest with versus what they uncover as their actual values or goals? Yeah. Um, I think, I think one big question that people working in the arts, uh, I think, um, in some ways I think need to most folks address is this question of economics. It's like, do you want to, first off, do you want to make a living on your art? And second off, uh, if so, do you want to try to integrate into already existing art markets, um, already existing paths for, I don't love this word, but essentially monetizing art? Um, or do you want to try to do it in different ways? And there's all kinds of examples of that. Um, I think another one that I, that I really like to think into with folks is all kinds of shoulds. So, you know, I should, if I'm a writer, I should wake up at 5 a.m. and work until 9 and then go on a three-hour walk and have dinner with someone and go listen to some jazz music. Um, and it's like, that works for some folks, but it might not for a lot of folks. Um, and, uh, you know, I think other ones are... Um, I mean, some just simple ones, and some of it's a really kind of a practical human physiology thing, but that there's certain art forms that are embodied or bodily or physical and certain that are not. And I just don't think that's true. I just, that's not how humans work in this plane of existence. Um, you know, all of the art forms really require, I would say, a certain kind of embodiment or at least can be served by it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's, that's one. I think other ones are sort of how we think about sharing and critique. Um, and, and I think there's all kinds of assumptions around that, um, both good and bad, I, not good and bad, but uh, I don't mean it that way. I think what I mean to say is, I think there's, I think some people walk in with assumptions that like, if I share with anyone, they're gonna be really critical and therefore I shouldn't share it or I'm too, too fragile to share it or it's too vulnerable to share. And vice versa, that that sort of, I think there are folks, I think I tend to be on this side who can be kind of laissez-faire or think that it's my responsibility to share with everyone or to take on all critique or to hear all critique. Mm. And, um, and so I think, you know, one of the things that I think a lot about with folks is how to be conscientious about who we share at what stages, you know, like, yeah, I, I you know, I have plenty of really, really good friends who are not the good people to share the initial art with who we just have really different tastes we make really different art oftentimes i find this with other artists especially um and that's okay you know i i that's i think part of my job as an artist is to sort of figure out both what kinds of feedback do i need and from whom um, right yeah. So as you know, in this season of the podcast, I'm doing episodes that walk through the entire artist's way. Mm -hmm. And that's something that comes up in that, I think in a couple different chapters, but definitely I discussed in depth in the podcast as well is the discernment of who do you share with? And realizing that there's a difference between like who you love and who you trust and who's going to be, first of all, supportive writ large versus like also just who is going to be a good audience for what you are creating. And I guess I, in a way, do have some sort of rules that I think are helpful to think about like when and how. 
um, particularly around when, I guess I tend to suggest that your like initial work of anything doesn't need to be reviewed by others, particularly with writing. Like I really encourage writers to whatever this means to them kind of get as far as they feel they can on their own before they ask for input from others in part because with writing it can be so long so part of it what I think about is like respect for your readers and also like how many times they're going to be able to read it and also um like getting the help that you really need versus like getting answers that you already have. Because I feel like when you, if you share like a brand new thing that you know you haven't even reviewed, then a lot of the input from even a really good audience or reader that you get is going to be things that you would have come up with on your own when you look at it again, versus it's going to be a lot more helpful if you like take another look at it and then when you get to a point where you're actually stumped or want you know feel like it's almost done you give it over to someone um I'm curious what you think about what you think about that like if you have sort of universe any sort of universal ideas or suggestions about when and how people do interact with feedback with others or if it's like a very individual choice I think the first thing that comes to me is to make a little bit of a distinction, I think, for myself between being witnessed and and feedback. Um, And I think one of the things that I really try to do for myself um, is to really situate myself and my my making within community. Um, And I don't necessarily mean that my work is always community art or, you know, but just that I'm in a community of artists so that I can have experience being witnessed as I'm going. And and to really distinguish that from feedback, you know? So sometimes that's just, I go for, you know, these days I go for walks with buddies um, for artists mostly. And just, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm experiencing. These are the fears I'm dealing with. Sharing it mostly to be witnessed, you know, to, to and I think for me, that's really important. And I think for, yeah, I think for different people, maybe that's more or less important, but I, I, I know a lot of folks really benefit from that. And I think like things like writing groups and classes can be really powerful in that. And I think there's a thing that I find really useful is to distinguish for myself and for the people I'm talking with those moments. Like, when am I really looking for feedback, really helping? When am I really, you know, wanting someone to help me develop the work? And when am I just wanting someone to witness the process of it or the particular stage of it? Um, and, and oftentimes that's more about talking about it than sharing it. Um, and then in terms of sharing, are there any universal things? Um, I think the only thing that I would say in a universal way, I usually don't believe in universals, but maybe usually I would say one, this thing of like, be aware who you're sharing with and and cultivate, like actively cultivate people who you find beneficial to share with. And I think there's all kinds of ways of understanding that. But, you know, I think some of the things that I would say is like someone who's willing to work to, to, to see your piece and to reflect it is really valuable. Um, I think someone who either shares sort of background um, or 
has done the work to understand it. I think especially as for minority folks or people in various kinds of minority backgrounds or 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 uh, marginalized backgrounds is maybe a better way of saying it. You know, as a queer person and a trans person, like not to say that I'm only ever sharing with queer trans folks, but I'm very aware and very I, I I I put a lot of effort into making sure that I have those perspectives, especially when dealing with work that feels very trans or or queer. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and vice versa, I think, especially if you want your, I mean, I think this is a question of, around goals and values, um, but if you want your work to be more for a general audience and also making sure that at some point you're bringing in folks who maybe don't share that background and what are the questions and do you want to explain those or do you want to leave those like that's okay? Um, yeah, and I think also in a sort of slightly more general way, I just think context is, people's context is so important to the way that they see art. Mm-hmm. And so to, as best you can, know that. And um, and maybe the last thing is like having the person you go to when your feelings get hurt, because that often happens. Yeah. And I think for me, at least I oftentimes, especially being male socialized, I'm like, oh, I should just tough it out and like stop feeling. And I think it's just much more helpful to just be like, you know, I mean, I had an experience where I was, I did a show um, in my hometown and then afterwards like two like childhood mentors of mine like had a lunch with me where they were essentially like tearing like the thing apart um and it was hard and I think like having luckily I had done the piece with someone and so I could go to her and be like hey I just had this experience you know and and was able to talk about it beforehand what are my values around why am I going you know and that wasn't feedback in the sense that I didn't think it was like developing the work I think for me personally I I have a value that within reason, I try to be open to hearing the, the effect of my work on people. And I don't have to take it on. I don't have to make it personal or think that somehow that's my responsibility, but I try to hear it. Um, yeah, so I think those are. Yeah, I that's great. I, and that makes me think about like what is, um, there's like all of this, there's all these components of that that are about like learning yourself and learning what you need, right? Like being able to say like, hey, and understand and then communicate to others. Like, I really, can I talk this through with you? I don't need feedback right now. You know, sometimes you don't need to say that depending on the person, but being able to know like, okay, I'm talking to this person because they're going to be able to just talk through the idea with me, or they're going to be able to just talk through that. Like I'm feeling like rejected or unsure, or, you know, that I just need to like be seen as an artist who's like in the process right now versus being able to communicate, hey, I need feedback on this. And here's some things that I'm like particularly wondering about, or that would be, you know, helpful to get input on. Um, And there's such like, I think there's a bit of like a growing process to get to that point as well, including figuring out like who your people are who are going to be good to hear your your work um and like knowing how to take care of yourself when you don't hear what you want or you know you do get wounded in the process so I also think about I've been thinking about the process of like like craft and getting better at things and like you said you're you know try to be open to receiving 
feedback for the most part. And I've been thinking about the way that my work has developed or not and sort of the processes I've gone through emotionally with it. And going back to like when I very first started writing pretty seriously, the first thing that happened is I was creating a lot of I was creating like a lot of poetry mainly. And I got to a certain point where like, I just wanted it to be witnessed. And I had like a few friends who I was able to share it with and just get like encouragement and validation. And that was really helpful. And then when I got a little bit further, and I started getting feedback on things, I really like couldn't do anything with it yet. Because it was still like too precious and too fragile. And I mean, now, like years later, I'm sort of learning a new type of writing as I'm getting more interested in like audio and narrative storytelling. And I've been thinking about how I'm a little bit more willing now to like fail fast in a way, you know, where I'm sort of interested in like, okay, I'd like to just make stuff and have people look at it and like learn you know, which is such a shift from like where I've been previously of like, I feel like most of my writing has been pretty precious. And even like I have stuff that I send out to um, for publication now or that I've had published that like, I do not want feedback on, you know, and it's just that for me, that's been like such a process to get to the point where I'm like, okay, even though I'm already established in certain ways, it's not until now that I'm like, okay, I have enough like trust or something, you know, in myself or, you know, in my ability to do this, to be like, okay, I'm really willing to like learn craft now. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that it makes me think about, there's this sort of famous Ira Glass quote where essentially he's talking about you know, his career and in in sort of audio storytelling and, and a sort of essentially like, you know, most artists get into art because they have good taste. And one of the things that's true about almost all artists is that for a long time, your taste is is just better than your skill. And so you make a lot of work that you, that doesn't live up to your standards of taste and you just have to make a lot of art or a lot of work. And I agree with this, And I, but I think one of the things that I have discovered um, in kind of the last couple of years is I think one of the other things that just making a lot of work does is it also, for me, builds a sort of confidence. You know, it kind of, it kind of answers some of the questions that haunted me in my early years around like, am I an artist? You know, like, do I have a right to? And I don't really feel that way now. So I, I, so one of the things that allows, and I love this idea of failing quickly, is like it allows me to try things. It allows me to mm-hmm. fail. I know my values in a way that's different. You know, so like I work with folks. I, I'm, you know, I'm in a sort of kind of collective with some folks who I love dearly and are really brilliant. And we have really different values around just sharing ideas. You know, my values and the way I was kind of brought up as an artist was like you just share all the ideas, and a lot of them are going to be bad. And you know, so I'm a kind of quantities person around Mm -hmm. that and they're not they're like they hold and they share the good ideas and it's just like and it's okay like we just have different styles in that and in earlier times of us working together I really was like oh my god this I'm somehow wrong or bad or blah 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 and now it's like no I'm an artist and I work in these ways and I can have flexibility and I can moderate you know how I work um but yeah so I think I think that this is really true and and I love this idea of failing fast 
and this is a value and I, it's something I think is a really useful value. So I encourage folks to cultivate it, mm -hmm. to like build a willingness, a resiliency to fail. Like, I think it's really, um, I think it's beautiful. And I think one of the things that I also encourage, because I also do want to recognize that it's really context. Um, how do I say this? There are contexts, especially around wealth and economics that make it easier or harder. And just, I do encourage people, even if they, you know, if, if they're in an economic situation where, you know, they need to succeed at least financially relatively quickly is to find ways to carve out some space, some way of having this ability to fail. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk about Right. Sort of like how people can live within, you know, some of these constraints that are on things like, you know, economics and living in capitalism is like a huge component of it for many of us and like markets and, you know, questions that we've talked about with these shoulds of like, is this marketable? Which am I aiming for a specific market? And I guess I wonder for myself more and more, I feel like it's not possible for me to like write towards a market or like art towards money. Um, but I wonder just, I guess what your own experiences or what your experiences of working with people of ways in which, you know, it is sort of possible to navigate like, okay, here's how I, importantly, like how people continue to like care for themselves and be grounded in themselves and what they actually need from the creativity while dealing with the constraints of like, okay, well, I need to make money and I need to, you know, do all these other things in order to stay alive that aren't just making the art I want to make all the time. Yeah, I think the first thing is, like, one, that comparison is, like, the kiss of death. And I think especially in this situation where where privilege is not easily, it's, we don't have a culture where we really reveal our privilege. So I remember there was this piece that was written, I think it was in The Guardian, where this woman was talking about, like, all of the various privileges she has that allows her to write, you know, mm -hmm. she's, you know, and so I think it's just the first thing is to be aware, especially for folks who don't come from, who don't have especially economic privilege, although I think, you know, racial gender privilege really help, but I think especially economic privilege to just recognize that like, if you're comparing yourself to like, to someone who's successful, you very well may be comparing yourself to someone who has really different resources. Um, and so it's not fair. And so to give yourself that break, I think the other thing is to um, is to really notice the places where you're precious with it and to really be very choosy about that. You know, like some people, again, like this getting up at five and writing until nine, like, great, if that works for you, if you have that time, great. But if not, you know, have a have a place in your phone where you just take notes and where, you know, when you have five minutes waiting for whatever, you know, for some food or, you know, I don't know, for the ferry or something, if you're, if you live on an island, like take some notes um, for your piece. So I think that this is another thing is to really try to find ways to not be precious. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think especially in the U.S. to just recognize that it's really, really hard and that um, sucks. Um, mm -hmm. 
and 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 that you most people are gonna have to make some kind of a choice around that. Um, yeah, in terms of either having a side job that pays the bills, um, you know, sometimes getting lucky or maybe being strategic about who you partner with in terms of their financial resources. Yeah. So the one thing that I've learned for myself, uh, and this is in this question of having a side job, is um, is that more time doesn't necessarily mean more productivity for me as an artist. And so I oftentimes have found that having a job that relieves other anxieties can actually be much more useful than the time I would save by not having that job. Um, and I think part of it is to be strategic about yourself and your own kind of, you know, the way you work, your neuroses, your own styles about what kind of job allows that, you know? So mm -hmm. for me, um, you know, I, I, the things that I oftentimes worry about, you know, um, in, in a, when I, when I have, um, you know, a side job is like, is it of use of service to the world? Do, is it somehow build a future? Um, and then what's the schedule like? So like for me, like I was a bus driver for a year and a half and it was really, really valuable because I think it's a good thing in the world. Like I think buses are awesome. Uh, it had a 401k. I wasn't there long enough to really, or a pension. It wasn't a 401k. It was a union pension. But I had this sense of like, oh, I was building a future. And it was a really regular schedule that could shift. Like it was flexible, but like for three months or six months, I had a schedule and I knew what it was. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's what worked. You know, some people I know, I know people who are do like copy edit because they can do it anywhere, you know, and mm -hmm. that's the thing that they really need. Um, you know, so it's kind of like, what do you need out of a job? Um, and some of that's going to be a question of money. How much money do you need? Um, and but I think there's other things to consider. Yeah. And I I find with a lot of people that I work with and with myself, those so, the, having some structures and some anchors are really helpful. And it's interesting because I think for myself and a lot of creative people, there's sort of like a, a tendency to like push against that, right? Where we think like, well, I just want like everything to be free and I just want to do things my way when I feel like it or, you know, I know how to do this or whatever. And actually having some constraints in life as also I find them really helpful in art is really fruitful to be like okay well the, it's because it's also like a decision fatigue thing right it's like there's so many things to think about if you have to be creative about figuring out how you're going to spend every minute of every day like part of that is taking away from just like if you know I have an hour at seven o'clock that I can work on this. And that's the only time I have, you have a lot less questions to ask and answer about what you're going to do with that time. And that's really helpful. Yeah. 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 Totally. I, I think structure. And I think, it, I think this question of decision fatigue is right on. Like how do you limit, uh, how do you make decisions ahead of time for yourself and set up structures mm -hmm. for yourself for, for sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, you know, following the impulse, getting the first things down, and then sort of maintaining, I guess, access to that idea space, what sort of, you know, rituals or ways of thinking or practices do you have or teach around just sort of maintaining that? 
I had a teacher, uh, a writing teacher, um, who used to say, get back to things within 48 hours. I don't know that I actually accomplish that all the time, but I do think a regular coming back is, is useful. For me, personally, one of the things that I do are various kinds of um, what I would call kind of like intellectual platforms. And what I mean by that is like systems of note taking. So a lot of my work is very research-based and I've used um, note cards in the past. These days I use like a Word document, but I do find it useful to go back to it and to and to edit it or to call it or to sort of make a new one. You know, you have the really big one with everything and then transfer. What are the things that are still relevant and then transfer? What are, you know, so I think for me, this is quite helpful mm. in terms of staying in that feel. Um, I think the other one is just... Um, being embodied and stretching, going for a run, um, you know, even just like a really simple, you know, back bend or something. But like I, when I'm in my body, I think it's a lot easier for me to access that stuff. Um, and then I think having, a, I, again, I think this is one of those things that can be quite precious. And, and, and so I, I caution it, but I think for me, it can be helpful to, have spaces where I can let things go, where I can zone out and make, because I think there's, for me, I do oftentimes need to make space for the thing to come in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think especially in this day and age, like, you know, trying to get rid of the phone for a moment, trying, you know, if I'm writing on the computer, trying to put it on do not disturb. Um, I have certain website blockers for myself because I'm just like, you know, I need that structure. Um, I think the other thing for me as an extrovert who oftentimes works alone is like checking in with people throughout the day. Um, mm -hmm. So I have folks that I, you know, I will usually make three or four calls in the, in a day and, you know, have five, 10 minute conversation. Um, I think the thing that I've also done that I really helpful is um, doing co-working sessions with folks mm -hmm. um, having, you know, weekly or if folks are willing more, uh, pre-pandemic meet in a cafe but you know even if it's meet on zoom or you know if, if yeah or if folks can get together in people's houses um, I think for me that's super helpful and breaks taking breaks going for a walk um, and trying for me trying to take a break that is not especially if I'm working on the computer that's not you know I I, I will admit that sometimes I take a break with YouTube and it's not the best like a walk would be much better yeah um yeah those are all really great and I really really value similar things and especially want to make sure that we do really comment on the embodiment piece because I think that is really important and what you said about earlier about this idea that you know Right. Obviously, if you're doing dance, you know that your art is embodied, but that our bodies are part of our ourselves and therefore our art always. And for me, I also find that is one of the quickest ways to sort of like tap in or pull myself out of like the domestic idea space is to do something physical that gets me in my body. And when I did the artist nest with you, I remember that being sort of like 
another component with that goes with sort of like the tools from the artist way of like the morning pages and like, you know, the weekly like artist date or inspiration hunt was like a body celebration. Do you still use that concept? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Will you explain what that is? Yeah, so I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to do it. I think the way that I think a really simple way that I really like is, um, and it was developed actually in the first theater I ever worked with, which was run by a woman named Anne Graham. Um, she had this thing where sort of essentially she led us through this visualization and we um, would find a safe space. And it's great. I still think about it. I still have it. It's developed. It's grown since then. Um, and it was just this way of sort of really having this visualization around what safety might look like, might feel like. And then from there to do a body scan and to just start at the toes and go all the way up the body, all the way to the crown, to go really slowly and just to acknowledge what the different parts of my body are feeling and to really try to be, try to stay away from, oh, let me fix that. Mm. Um, you know, so just to just acknowledge, oh, I'm tense in my back. Oh, I'm clenching my anus. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my left toe feel, you know, my pinky feels a little bit weird. Um, Yeah, because I think one of the things, I think a lot of us uh, carry wounds in our body, like wounds from childhood, all kinds of trauma. And I think a lot of folks, um, I certainly for myself, like embodiment is hard because of that, because it taps me into that. So how to how to open up to the reality of my body in gentle ways and in ways that aren't about like, oh, I need to look this way or I need to be able to do this thing, Um, but just really simply laying on the floor. I would love to talk a bit about this idea of how we work with like our tendencies, our unique brains, our neuroses in developing this and in in developing our own practices. And I think a lot of the things we've been talking about sort of come together here about like, what are the assumptions that we may not even know we're carrying about like how art happens and what it is and like how creativity should work in terms of schedules or this, that, and the other thing versus like, how do we actually work and what do we gravitate towards and then adding the layer of like not every impulse that I naturally have is actually supportive to me Mm. Mm. but like I as you've said to me when we discussed this prior like not putting judgment on that right so like you gave the example of like collaging and like letting things go versus like holding on to them because you know you have a tendency to like hold on to more materials than you would otherwise use yeah this is something i'm really fascinated with right now um uh yeah in part because of this noticing the difference between collaging in my head and writing or making performance or any of the things i think of as my art like i don't i wouldn't describe myself as a collage artist Um, even though I look around my room and there's four or five different collage pieces that I've made. Um, Yeah. And I think like how to do that. I think one thing that I draw from is to find a creative thing that you don't 
that does not connect to status or economic viability or what it means to you to be an artist. So a medium that's really outside of yours. And to just notice what do you do? What do you do when, when you aren't surrounded by the shoulds um, or the pressure? Um, and again, right, it's hard. I think it's, it's hard for folks who don't have as much time. Um, but, but I think to notice, or maybe it's not something new, but just the things that you do, you know, how do you do that? You know, and, and like, for example, cooking, most people cook, like, do you cut up all the vegetables or all of the stuff and have it all in little bowls and then start adding? Do you cut, you know, the onion and throw it in the pan? And then, you know, how do you deal with time? So for me, when I cook, I basically, I'm like, I, I cut things in the order. I think like the time. So I start with an onion. I then do a carrot. I then do a potato. I then do a, a, a red pepper. And I don't, other than that, I'm not worried about time. I'm not thinking like, oh, how long does, you know, it's just that. Um, and, and to just pull out like, uh, yeah, just some awarenesses of that, you know, um, and maybe to try doing different things again with these things that we do, you know, every day. So like, it's really interesting for me when I like cut mm -hmm. everything and then start cooking. And, you know, there's things that are nice about it. I feel really proud of myself. It's like, oh, I've prepared. Look how good I am at taking care of myself. And then also my timing is really fucked up because I'm like yeah. not used to it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, so I think that that's one component. I think the other component is to, is to take time. And it's, for me, it's a constant ongoing process, but to just identify where the shoulds, where the shoulds that I'm operating under, where the pressures, and those are different things in my head. Um, but to identify both of those, you know, am I trying to live off of my art? What kinds of pressure does that make? How do I have time outside of that? Um, how do I take care of that and have space where I feel really free and open with the, with the work? Um, and similarly, like, you know, uh, do I think I should be working at a particular time? Do I think I should be spending a certain amount of time on my work? Um, do I think I should be, you know, doing a certain kind of political or apolitical or, you know, how, you know, do I, is there shoulds around how my work is, is interacting or referencing or commenting on the larger society. And for me, I think one of the things is like to identify them, to compare them with my values. So again, that's why I think knowing, like doing work around what are my values is really important because some of those I might want to keep and some of those I might not, or some of those mm -hmm. I might want to do in a different way. You know, so when I was in Seattle, my work was very sort of capital P political and that felt really important and also was coming from a lot of shoulds. Mm -hmm. And I think these days, I still see my work as political. I still think uh, having a political awareness is very, very important. It's part of my values, but I'm finding ways to give myself more freedom to explore other things, to understand the politics of something that is maybe not uh, sort of overtly or sort of agipropedly political, that isn't kind of a mm -hmm. propaganda for a certain way, ideology. Um, and yeah, so uh, those kinds of things, yeah. That's great. And that's a great example because I think sometimes, speaking for myself, I'll grasp on two things because I do value them because they are important to me. So it can be harder when you, there, there can be a fear then if I'm thinking like, well, if I don't like should myself into like including this element in my art or being this way about it, there's like a fear that like it'll just go away and that I then, you know, won't be that or that like, you know, I won't have that value. And 
I've like learned a lot of different times in different ways. Like, oh, actually, if I just like let go of the should around it and I'm willing to sit with, I don't know what's going to happen when I do that and just follow like where I'm really at. I tend to find a lot of relief and find that like who I am underneath and the things I want to do like aren't as bad as perhaps I feared. (laughs) Um, I also think there's a thing for artists more than, I don't know about more. I don't know other things well enough. Let me just say, I think for artists, there's a tendency that art is everything. It's mm-hmm. all of who we are. Mm-hmm. It has to incorporate all of our, all of what we do in the world. It has to speak to everything we want to speak to. Um, and I, I think that this is also something to that I try to resist or, or to push back against or to cultivate things that are outside of art. You know, friends that are outside of art. Um, that I sometimes, you know, you know, if I'm feeling the need to to speak up about something, I can just speak up about it. Or I can go to a protest or I can join an organizing. Um, you know, or similarly, you know, if 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 I feel like I should be doing something at a particular time, you know, if I feel like somehow it's better to be waking up at five in the morning, I can do that. And I, if that's not the time to do art, that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really, that's really, really great. Thank you. Um, okay, to wrap up before we go, will you share a creative prompt or exercise you have for Moonlighters? Yeah, so I was thinking about this this collage, and I'm I'm thinking about this exercise as a writing exercise, but I think it can also be used as a sort of inspiration exercise. Um, and so it requires a piece of paper and some magazines or newspapers or whatever you got handy. Or, um, and basically, uh, the idea is to cut, let's say ten, but really can be as many as you want. The more you do, the easier it is. I would say. So that's a that's a pro tip, uh, but of phrases, the text, cutting out, you know, uh, yeah, whatever phrases. Like oftentimes the titles of articles could be really great, or these pull quotes that they'll put in the middle of them. Um, whatever jumps out at you, and to really use your allow your your intuition. So just what uh, allow what joy, what you're pulled to. Don't you don't need to know why. It's okay. This isn't something you have to share with others. And then to uh, uh, glue or tape them, uh, not tape, glue them onto a piece of paper. Um, and then, uh, for the, for the initial way, so we can, we can go beyond it, but for the initial way to tape them in sort of, that they're all facing the same way and to disperse them out throughout the page. Um, if they're on, if you're using lined paper, then just like, you know, maybe one per line or something. Um, and then the prompt is, or the, the sort of instruction is essentially to write into the space between. Hmm. Um, and if you want, you know, if this is your style, you can really think about how do I make a sentence that works with the text that you've gotten out. But I think it can also be really interesting to sort of allow the poetic um, uh, uh, um, things sitting next to each other that maybe aren't don't make rational sense and just write in between and see. Um, yeah, I have a, a 1.5 if you want it, but I don't know how the prompts are. Sure, yeah, go for it. Okay, so 1.5, same beginning, cut out text, but this time you're gonna glue, you're gonna glue it in different uh, orientations. 
So some might be the, the proper you know, orientation starting at the left, going to the right. Some might be perpendicular to that. And so similar prompt to write in the space, but when you come to a word, turn the page so that the word is, um, is facing the right direction uh, mm -hmm. based on the new orientation and to keep writing in that direction. Um, one of the things that I find is when we change these sort of, these things that are just assumed like the direction of the page, it can really open up interesting things. Um, and then the last part of both of these I didn't say is to share it with someone um, and to just see what comes when you read it out loud. Awesome. Yay. I love that. And yeah, turning the page is a great one. I think um, a lot of times for writers, not all of us, but many of us are like a little bit allergic actually to other kinds of art and like afraid of like drawing and things like that. And yeah, yeah. like just seeing a piece of lined paper in a new way can be really helpful. Yeah. 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 I love it. Thank you so much. I know that I uh, will benefit so much from everything you shared as well, everyone listening. And I'm really grateful for your time and your thoughts and heart on all of this. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. This was great. You know what time it is. Normally, it's time for Ask Molly, but today my questions are for you. So welcome to Ask Moonlighters. I want to start by saying thank you and congratulate you for the care that you have shown to yourself and your creativity by joining me in the Moonlight Writers Club. I hope that these episodes have supported you wherever you are in your writing journey and helped you to have compassion, confidence, and joy in writing. Whenever you need a boost, come back and give a re-listen. This season will be evergreen and always following that spiral path. You are brilliant and fun and you deserve the time and attention to express and explore your art. This season has been a huge learning and creative process for me too. So thank you for supporting me by listening and extra hugs to every person who gave us five stars, wrote a review, or sent me a little note to tell me you were listening and loving the show. After this episode, there's going to be a break where I'll be reflecting on my learning from season one and thinking about how to create the episodes for season two. For season two, I do already have a couple of authors planned to join us for guest episodes that I cannot wait to share with you. And I have some big ideas about where to go from here. But this is where Ask Moonlighters come in. I wanna hear from you. Now that we've been through the artist way together, what's next for you? Do you need help getting a project going in a specific genre and want to hear more about how to write in a particular format? Is there another craft book that you'd love to have explained? What type of writers and authors do you want me to bring on the show? What questions about your writing life are still going unanswered? This is your club, so you tell me, what do you want to do together next? 
I want you to let me know what you're thinking. You can email me at mollythorntonwrites at gmail.com or you can leave me a voice message at 330-969-9720. So call me or email me, share your thoughts, let me know what you took away from season one or what you want to hear in season two. My email is mollythorntonwrites at gmail.com and you can also call and give me a voice message and get in my ear at 330-969-9720. I love you. You've been listening to Moonlight Writers Club, created by me, Molly Thornton. If you love the show, please leave us a review and remember to subscribe or follow wherever you listen. To learn more or contact me, visit mollythorntonwrites.com.